Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your hosts, Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. This is episode number 26, where we will be continuing our study in 1 Timothy. What's going on, Dakota? Hey, man. Just living that Kansas life. You know, we got back from Arizona uh, this past Monday, and uh, it was a joy to be out in Arizona for the last week, and it was really fun because we left Wichita Monday morning uh, of the week prior, and we left a ton of snow and a ton of cold weather and came to Arizona where it was mid-60s and sunny, and then came back to mid-60s, even mid-70s during the day here in Kansas. Uh, so yeah, it's been great. Yeah, this last week, you know, I, you know, second week uh, starting this pastor job that I recently started, and the lead pastor left and made me do everything that week, so... Um, Gosh, what a horrible pastor. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Who would do that to you? I know. Just leave the job. No, no, I had a, it was a busy week, but it was actually a very uh, good week in the sense of just studying the word, um, yeah. kind of being challenged in, in our current study uh, at our church in the book of James and really yeah. stretching me into an area where uh, to teach something that's, that you have a hard time relating to. Um, yeah. is really hard. And I think as we continue in first Timothy with the study here on the podcast, I think that, you know, can sometimes relate in, in those areas as well, but it really stretches you to rely on the Holy spirit, to rely on what the word actually says and what God wants you to communicate instead of this idea of a pastor trying to communicate a message that he wants to his congregation. It's more about what God wants to say to the congregation and and that should always be the focus of every sermon, but it really stretched me this week, and it was it was good. It was very good. Yeah, uh, I heard wonderful things. I think the sermon was just posted today. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but um, everybody has been just telling me that you you did really well, and uh, you know we're having a fun time at church right now. Uh, there's a lot of families being ministered to with the Word of God. And it's fun because we live in a day and an age where most churches are not always bent on wanting to be faithful to the Bible. Uh, it, it may be, you know, this bent on wanting to be popular, wanting to just have big numbers for the sake of having big numbers. But, you know, I truly believe that with our church here, Ottawa Bible Church, we're aiming, number one, to make mature and multiply disciples. And we're aiming to live sent and we want to change this community. We want this community to be our, our mission field. So. You know, it's just been a, a joy to to pastor, and now I get to do so with my best friend. So, uh, again, welcome to Kansas. Yeah, it's been it's been a ride. It's been an adventure. Um, you know, trying to find a home, which we have found a home, um, and get and hopefully get into that home uh, beginning of December. Uh, but that's kind of part of the adventure we've had so far. It's just navigating um, the newness of of the move, and also you know, we have a place to stay, which is a great blessing. Uh, but as everyone knows, establishing your own home is a whole nother thing. So it we're is. looking forward to actually getting in a home, making it our own and saying we're here and kind of yep. get into a routine. I think that's what's kind of the struggle right now is the routine is just yeah. so different. I went from working at home full time uh, being at home with my wife and son, well, from the day he was born up until six months old, I was home 
and we moved to Kansas and I'm not home anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to work every day in person and, uh, and then ministry stuff at the church as well. So just the change of, of what's happening at home to the routine, to being in a new place. So, uh, lots of change. It's not bad change. It's good change, but at the same time, challenging, um, when you're trying to, uh, kind of establish a routine of how things are going to be. So we're still in that phase of figuring it out, which is exciting, but tiring at times too. So it's just continual prayer that the Lord strengthens us and keeps us focused and, um, and that, uh, you know, just kind of live in the, in the grace of God, because we're going to be frustrated at times and, and really look to him to, to help us keep us on the right track and our hearts and our attitudes in the right place. So we're, we're going through all of that right now. That's what it's like to move and change and, uh, make adjustments. And so even Dakota and I, I mean, we see each other, but we haven't quite just like hung out yet. Right. Since I've been here, like just me yeah. and him having a conversation besides this podcast, like just sitting down, hanging out, you know, sitting on the back porch and, and just having a good conversation. We haven't got to that part yet of, of just, just being friends and not the pastoral role. So right. I'm looking forward to the settling down and, and having the nights where, um, those things happen and yeah. having the more intimate moments, even with other people that I'm meeting and making new friends. So yeah. those things are, are really important to me in the future. And so can't wait to get to those. I know they'll come and I know it'll be get to a norm again, but, uh, but yeah, that's just where we're at. So that's kind of an update on, on me and, and the family. And, uh, and so, yeah, we'll just keep pushing forward. Yeah, you know, one thing that I'm looking forward to is your new house that y'all have purchased is just down the street from us. We live on uh, pretty much 17th Street and Maple, and you all are going to be living on 19th Street. And I don't remember the name of your street, but it's, I mean, it's just down the road. Uh, we take kids, we take our kids on, on walks and in our strollers and, str- and stuff all the time uh, past your new home. So it's going to be good to just live life together. I do just want to say something real briefly. You know, if, if you're listeners from around the country, you're, you're with us here on Be Disciples podcast. Maybe you're from our church family. Maybe you're in multiple states. Uh, I hear all the time about our church family members passing this podcast along to other listeners. Maybe you're in Arizona because we have a big following there. Uh, maybe you're in Nebraska. Maybe you're in Iowa, whatever, whatever location you might be in. You know, one of the points of this podcast, just to reiterate, we call it Be Disciples Podcast because we want to have real conversations through the Bible about biblical topics to sharpen us in our walk with God. And uh, if you're listening, we just want to say thank you so much. We're just grateful that you've listened faithfully. In the last month or two, we've just been going through a a lot of transition and moving and a a lot of um, different schedules off rhythm from what we're used to. So if you you continue to keep up with us, man, we are just so thankful uh, and we are seeking to get back into a rhythm and, and again, just talk about life as a disciple. So Kyle, with that being said, why don't I just start uh, with prayer and then we are going to jump into this uh, hot topic of uh, what Paul says about women in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 9 through 15. Uh, we're going to tackle that a little bit more deeply tonight. So are we ready to go? Here we go. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity right now. Uh, Truly one of the most difficult parts of walking 
as a Christian is to keep check of our heart and to keep check of our attitude and keep short accounts, uh, not only with where we're at with you, but also, Lord, with where we're at with others. Oftentimes it's true how we treat others is reflective of how we treat you. Our relationship with other people is a reflection often of what our relationship is like with you. So, Lord, it, it's impossible for one relational orientation or, or bent to not affect the other. And what I want to ask you right now is, God, I know myself well enough, and I just ask you, um, please sustain Kyle and I uh, as pastors, as as husbands, as fathers, as friends, uh, towards our families and towards our church family. I ask you, God, for your grace to be patient and to speak kindly and to speak with love. And I just ask you, Lord, that you'd continue to do a work in us. Uh, this podcast is called Be Disciples Podcast, but truthfully, um, Lord, we're a part of that too. So please help us to be disciples on our own podcast and help us to walk with you intimately and closely. Thank you, God, for your love for us. Give us wisdom as we address this passage and help our listeners' hearts to be moved by your spirit and by your word. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, bro. So here we go. Are we ready to start tackling it? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to get started. And this is, again, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Kyle, I'm just going to read it. And then we can take it just in chunks, maybe a verse or so at a time, thought by thought. And, you know, we can just be honest and say, now, here's how our culture would read that today. What does Paul mean within this passage? Uh, by the way, he just got done addressing the attitude of men in verse 8. So he carries on with the attitude of women here in 9 through 15. And it says this, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or expensive apparel, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. But women will be preserved through childbirth if they continue in faith, love, and sanctity with moderation. So, um... Kyle, there's a number of things that we have to address here, so let's tackle it yet again a little bit more closely. Verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or expensive apparel. So he talks about how he doesn't want them to dress. Why does that rub shoulders? Why does that hit our culture in the face today? What are your thoughts? Well, I think the first thing that I want to address is this where should this take place because that's addressed in the very very first part of the verse yeah where it uses this all in in like a manner also or depending which version you're using right but this also is referring to the verse before where it's talking about men praying lift you know men praying everywhere right um so it's everywhere so i think sometimes we think this only applies to women at church and that's it right not outside the church. Right. But this is actually to women everywhere at all times. Right. <laughs> not just at a church meeting. So 
we can kind of clarify that and it, before we dive into it. So this is kind of a general, um, not general and specific statement towards women uh, in, in this about at church and everywhere that they go, how they're presenting themselves. Right. Uh, so it says that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. So I guess that just sticking to that first lot, that line there, modest apparel. Uh, first, I want to talk about the heart issue here before we get into the, I guess, the details of modest and what does that look like today and right. the different cultures. But the heart issue is, is I think we see women in the Christian church or the Christian culture, we can see their hearts by the way that they dress. Yeah. What are they trying to convey to other people about who they are as a person? And sometimes uh, we are all visual people because we use our eyes a lot for one of our senses. And one of those things is we look at people and we see the way they present themselves. Yep. Whether you're a man or a woman doesn't matter, right? And that's what we see. So when it talks about modest apparel, where, where are women's thoughts when it comes to what they're wearing, whether that whether we're talking about extravagant things right. like um, look how look how expensive my clothes are. Um, I'm trying to show off uh, what I have as if I'm either wealthy or kind of a look at me type statement. Or is it also can be in other ways, modest kind of refers to clothing that doesn't uh, tempt um, or tempt a man or to um, to be in lust over them, which are revealing, which I don't think, I think men can do that on their own without, even if women are dressed modestly, <laughs> but at least the women are saying, I'm going to take it into my own hands to do what I can to ensure I don't let a brother stumble um, and it shows their heart towards other people in that way. So there's, I think there's a couple ways you can take the modest apparel when it comes to either when it gets into the braided hair of gold, pearls, costly clothing. It's, it's, there's a combination of the lustful part of the clothing, but also the I'm showing off my clothing to, for a status. Right. So there's, there's a couple of things here that it can translate into. Um, and that's what's being talked about here. But I think we're like many authors in the in the Bible, Paul, James, we see this uh, heart issue that's really the core of, of what's going on here. And so we as we go through this, we have to think about as women and men, where our hearts at when presenting ourselves in public, when talking to people, when when pretty much we're representing Christ. So our heart should be in a place where we want to represent Christ well. And that's what's being, that's part of what's being addressed here. And then he gives specifics about modest apparel um, and goes into the braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, yeah. those sort of things. You know, as, as Paul starts off in verse nine, he says, I want women to adorn themselves. He's actually not saying that you should just completely bypass what you look like, but he uses the word adorn. It's got this feel of classiness to it, right? He, he's yep. saying, I want you to adorn yourself with something. In other words, I don't want you to put yourself out there like, you know, um, you, you have no care for what you look like or God doesn't value you for how he created you, right? But I want women to adorn themselves with not improper clothing, but with proper clothing. And that looks like this. It looks like 
it being modest, it looks like it being discreet. Other translations might say with propri- propriety or moderation. Uh, propriety or, or modesty can ask the question, is it appropriate for the occasion? Is it overdressed or underdressed? Is it going to call inappropriate attention to myself? And, and then, of course, discreetly and, and with moderation means, is it moderate, meaning it doesn't have to be too much or too little, but is it is it middle ground? He's just simply saying, as you noted, he's addressing the fact that what one wears uh, is an expression of their heart. And unfortunately, it is true that men are much, much more uh, visual. And I've often heard people say, well, a man just doesn't have to look. But, you know, where else in life can someone tell you, hey, this is a struggle for me? And would you be able to just non-compassionately just be able to say, well, you just need to get over it and you, you need to just, you know, deal with that. Well, no, if it, if it causes somebody to stumble, then, then you don't claim your rights. You, you realize you have freedom and liberty, but you also, you understand, hey, I would rather love another rather than love myself. So I, I do think, aside from what clothing can or can't reveal, Paul is just addressing here I want you to dress appropriately. And then he goes on to say, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or expensive apparel. In this culture, that would have been, you know, just over the top. And again, if we're dealing with the heart issue, it's not like Paul is saying that the problem is uh, braided hair. Rather, it's as you are engaging with other people in your life, as you're engaging with the church, as you're engaging with the world, what does your dress say about who you believe you are? And what does your dress say about your humility? Then he goes on to say in verse 10, but rather by means of good works. So now he talks about other things to clothe themselves with, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness uh, for in their manner, in their behavior to be uh, following of the Lord. Kyle, do you have any other thoughts on verse 10? I mean, what about good works should set women apart? Why would Paul specific? I mean, he obviously calls men to this as well. We know the book of Titus, he does. But why would he call women to good works? Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about here, when he transitions from braided hair, gold, pearls, costly clothing, and then right into but, which is proper for women professing godliness with good works, you know, it's really talking about these good works are more important than this jewelry. Right. Jewelry is not a bad thing, right? I, I bought, you know, my wife a, a, a ring for engagement and wedding and, and, and other jewelry, right? That's, those aren't bad things. But where's priority? Is it the jewelry, the look at me? Or is it I want to do good works for the Lord? And so where's, the, where's the, that at? And when it comes to this adornment, that we're talking about here to adorn themselves. It's also to adorn themselves with good works, not just the modest apparel. So modest apparel with good works. It's, it's, it's to me as a man, that's attractive, right? (laughs) A a woman who is uh, godly, who wants to please the Lord uh, in the way that she presents herself in the right occasions with the right dress, but ultimately for good works to, be obedient to the Lord. And that should be more beautiful 
than this jewelry, than this status symbol, than these things that we that the world likes to put onto women and say, this is what you have to be in order to be accepted or in order to be beautiful or in order to do these things. God doesn't say that. God says, honor me. And you're going to honor me in the way that you present yourself to others. And that is to be modest. That is to be aware of the occasion. That is to not flaunt yourself um, and do good works for me, which is to be obedient, which is to seek me, which is to have a passion and a heart for the Lord. And that's really what it's talking about. So when we think about the struggle that happens in our culture today of the image of women, God's trying to say, no, (laughs) that's not what I'm asking you to do, right? right? I don't want you to go out there and you know, show everyone what I gave you, right? right? And and flaunt yourself or try to make yourself a certain way to live up to a certain image of beauty nor is that, that the world. Nor is that how they're valued. Yeah. God is giving women value here by giving this instruction. The world is not giving women value by the way that they're telling women to be. Yeah, take care of yourself. We want you yes. to look beautiful. Exactly. We want you to look beautiful. But you should be doing these things not for the world, not for people, right? Not for a status, not for, uh, you know, whatever the pressures of modern societies, what women should be like. The focus for women, just as men, should be on what does the Lord want, not what does the world want. That's what's being pointed out here. Paul is being intentional towards women to say, This is something you will struggle with as women. You are struggling with as women. And you need to really look at your heart and and look at what the Lord wants from you. And he's giving them instructions. And they're really good instructions when you dissect it like this. When you just read over it, you go, oh, Christians, they just, you know, you got to wear like a tunic and you got to cover your head. Like all the, you got, it has to be extreme. And I think some Christian denominations have taken it to sure. the extreme <laughs> and where they're wearing floor length dresses and, you know, covered all the way to their fingertips and, you know, they don't wear makeup and, you know, like they've taken it really far, but I don't think that's what this, this verse is saying. Right. I think it's, and it's, you know, it's just a, to jump in on that too, to yeah. be fair, let's just say that a woman's heart said, you know, I enjoy wearing floor length dresses and I, I don't, I don't want to wear makeup only because uh, it's, it's where my heart's at with the Lord. Now that's, that's still okay. I think what happens is when we take a legalistic route and we start putting rules on it, right? See the law can, the law cannot force your heart to change. I mean, the law, the law would tell you, here's how long your skirt needs to be. But grace would say, you know what, Lord, I, I love my brothers in Christ and because I'm empowered by grace and I'm not empowered by law I'm, and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit inside of me rather than the law outside of me, uh, I'm going to choose an appropriate skirt length uh, because I'm not run by law, I'm run by grace. So at the end of the day, he's getting after that, which also is a reflection on on good works. They actually mm-hmm. could go hand in hand. I want to share something about my wife really quick. When I first... Uh, set my eyes on Shannon. Uh, This is kind of a a funny story, but I I graduated high school in 2007, moved down with my grandparents to Mesa, Arizona in June of 07. And it was my first day at Mesa Baptist Church. And I walked upstairs above the gym into the youth room and and there was a game everybody was playing called Scum. 
Uh, if oh yeah, oh, the best Kyle game ever. knows the game Scum. It's this game at the <laughs> pool table, and uh, other... it ruins pool tables. That's all I have to say. Like, if you want your pool table to stay really nice, don't play Scum because nope. it's literally just a bunch of teenagers throwing the pool balls against the sides of the pool table, which eventually destroys the pool table. Yeah, and then and <laughs> so definitely, and you'll you'll ruin your you'll wreck your youth ministry that way too. So <laughs> now I'm just taking it too far. But so nevertheless, I walked up into the youth room and there's you know, people playing ping pong and video games and uh, just walked up there. And then the person that I saw first uh, that I I really intentionally looked at was Shannon. And what she was wearing, I remember it to this day, this memory is locked in my head where she had this beautiful yellow dress on. And I always argue with her (laughs) whether the dress was, had white stripes on it or white flowers, but either way, it was a yellow dress. And she just, you know, her hair was very beautiful. She's wearing a necklace and um, just the way she dressed was so classy that it just really, uh, really appealed to me. I thought she was extremely attractive. And to this day, I think my wife is extremely attractive and, and she has always been someone who, who dresses modestly. Uh, she doesn't uh, have to show off in any way. The best feature about my wife is her amazing smile. Um, if this is a little weird because I'm the the pastor, sorry, but that turns me on. That's like, yes, I love my wife. She's, she is so beautiful. Uh, and and her heart is expressed and often in what she wears. Um, and then to make it better, this kind of sums it up for me with my wife and just what I love about her is her heart for service, her grit, her perseverance, her endurance for doing a lot of mercy based ministries behind the scenes. Uh, her her passion for for uh, young moms, her passion for you know she works at uh, Life Care uh, for women, the ministry out here in Ottawa, and um, she's getting ready to be one of their nurses, and um, she's serving in such a capacity where she's going to give ultrasounds to women who are considering abortions, and like she's always always investing in other women and disciples and doing good works and serving our family, serving our kids, serving me. Um, and she doesn't have to do that, um, you know, to prove herself, but she wants to do that because she loves the Lord. So when I, th- when I think of this passage, I'm like, boom, I think of my wife, you know, she's, she's precious to me and um, she's my best friend. So when I read it, I'm like, I-, I think Shannon immediately, you know? So now that, now that we all threw up a little bit, yeah, because the pastor is, you know, talking about what turns him on. Yep. Sorry about that. It, you know, no, but it's I called think transparency, I, bro. Yes, yeah, I guess. No, no, it's it's good. Uh, it's a good example for our listeners, any young listeners, uh, really, as you're searching. Um, and when I say searching, I mean prayerfully searching. Um, you know what that looks like for a future relationship and marriage. Uh, what does your future spouse look like? And you know, God knows who that is, and and continue to pray for that and, and you know, in, in those relationships and seek these things here that Paul is talking about in a woman, um, you know, a woman who is consumed by the way that she looks, by the way that people think about her because of her looks, um, it, you know, is somebody who's really looking for acceptance for outside things um, and not inside and not that to say that person can't improve and and change and and i think all those things are true and they can become um they can strengthen their their walk with the lord and and become this way 
but it's usually not something we should be looking for as, as a godly man uh, when we're looking for somebody to marry. So I just think this helps a man as well as a woman to what this should look like when searching for somebody to marry. Um, and, and this is, again, I think Dakota mentioned this, it, it is going to look a little different for everybody. There will be the people who wear the floor length dresses that they want to wear, and that's totally fine. It's when it becomes a rule that you have to wear them when it becomes wrong because it becomes a law of sorts. Uh, and I think, um, you know, I do think there is there is a line at the other end of, of you know, where it gets a little too risque on one end, <laughs> um, but at the same time, something in the middle that's appropriate um, that, uh, that we need to be looking for. And I think that goes just both sides. I, I think it's not necessarily, even though it's being addressed to women here, I think it's just as important to men that men shouldn't do these things either. I think men can dress over the top. Men can have a status symbol of how they look. Men can do these things as well and have this issue. And so we need to be careful across the board, men and women, about the way that we present ourselves to the church, to society, to people, and think about really where our heart's at and that we want to represent Christ well in all of the relationships that we're building. If we continue on here, uh, verse 11, it starts off and he continues with the same flow of thought. He's instructing women and he says that a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Now, when we read this verse, I just want to say, because we bring cultural baggage to the text, when we start to interpret the Bible, what we often do is we take our own perception of what the tone would be like, what the context would be like. And uh, just naturally by way of the culture that we're from, we read a verse like this and we think, oh my gosh, like it's pretty much just told a woman to shut up. But thankfully, uh, context matters, right, Kyle? So verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Uh, I have a note here that says this unfortunate translation has led some to believe that it is forbidden for women to even speak in church meetings. Paul uses the same word translated as silence, right? A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, either quietly or silence. He uses uh, the same word in uh, 1 Timothy 2.2, and it's translated as peaceable. So the idea is not to just shut your mouth, but the idea is without contention instead of total silence. In another place in the scriptures, uh, Paul does use a different word for silence in 1 Corinthians. And that's because the women in the Corinthian church were pretty much just going crazy during the service. Here, Paul is saying that a, a woman must have a peaceable, humble heart as she is learning in, in the church uh, environment and uh, also with all submission meaning that she she is willing to follow authority, the authority and the teaching that's being passed down to her, to her husband and to herself. So really, at the end of the day, verse 8 is, is talking about having a peaceable spirit about you when you receive the instruction uh, from the Word of God. Kyle, any thoughts on, on verse 11? It sounds harsh, but it's really quite pure. Yeah, I think as we as we get into... Um, just the language being used and and what is submission um, really saying here and what it means. I really just think it's a, you know, really just to respect the authority that has been given by God. Right. 
of what's going on in the church. And so culturally back then, church looked different <laughs> than it does today. It just does, you know, I think. And, and back then this would have probably made even more sense. But I still think the principles and what's being talked about here is still extremely important to where we should be respecting the authority of the people who are leading uh, that God has put in place. And, and submission means to listen, to be quiet in that moment, right? In the teaching. So instance, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I was preaching this last Sunday. You know, if somebody stood up in the middle of my sermon and was like shouting at me and like really mad, like that would be, you're, they're not really submitting to my, to the teaching that God has allowed me to do. Um, that would be trying to go over the top of me and create a rift in the church, uh, during, during the service. And so I think of that as, as, you know, people are listening, uh, to the pastor preaching. It is the pastor preaching that God has given him the word to teach. And so we are submitting to that teaching, uh, here. So there's kind of like almost like a rank in a sense in that moment, in that time. Uh, so I, I think of it more, more of that type of thing submitting to the pastor, submitting to God's authority that he has given to man to teach. Uh, that's what's happening here. I don't think it's women can't do these things, uh, but they need to seek peace. Even if they disagree, they shouldn't be speaking in the service or mumbling under their breath or creating issues throughout throughout the church and things like that. But they should really be making peace amongst people, submitting to that teaching, it doesn't mean they can't ask questions later. You can't have conversation later. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means in this type of church be talking about here, the authority that God has given men to do these things, this needs to happen in order to kind of help with conflict because conflict is real. It happens in the church. It happens all the time. And this is a way uh, to help with conflict and to really allow people to say, okay, this man was put here by God. And so I need to submit to that. Uh, and the way that that looks is to be quiet when they're teaching. <laughs> it doesn't mean women don't talk ever. Right. Not at all. In, in fact, again, Paul would have addressed that issue at the Corinthian church because the women were extremely arrogant within that church. Culturally speaking, one thing that would have happened is it was often believed that men and women would sit on opposite sides of the room from one another and um, it was perfectly permissible in this culture for a man to interrupt the speaker uh, during the sermon. And just for a clarifying question, it would not have been seen as something totally arrogant. The problem for what most think is that the women on the other side of the church would have been leaning over across the room and whispering or talking to their husbands, you know, bringing about somewhat of a, a, a distraction during the service that was less than formal. Now, that's an option right um from from culture but i still think regardless paul is getting at one thing here the heart of a pure godly woman it, it, this isn't to remove her value and this isn't to say that she's inferior in any way in fact this is to say that hey she with peaceableness in her heart and in her spirit should be able and willing to receive an instruction um and and more context comes into play when we get into verse 12 this will be the the hardest part of it um, verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, 
but to remain quiet. Or, same word, peaceably quiet. So, in other words, Paul gets to the statement in verse 12, where he essentially says, and maybe another way to translate this is, I don't allow women, I, I do not want a, a woman to uh, teach or usurp the authority of a man, to exercise or usurp authority over a man. So to say, hey, to the men in our church, you you are called by God to lead your families. You're called by God to, to lead this church. And for a woman to overstep those boundaries is something that Paul says flows out of the order for God's design within the church and within the family. And, you know, if you're, if you're listening right now and you're like, okay, well, that, that definitely sounds like women are unequal. I want to propose this to you, that Jesus Christ himself submitted and understood his role as it pertained to God the Father in the Trinity. So submission is something theologically that Jesus did with the Father. By the way, submission is something that the church, the bride of Christ, does to Jesus. So this is something that both Jesus and the church are practicing this is also something that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit um, exercises submissiveness, right, Und- underneath the authority of the Father and the Son. So this idea of who's teaching in the church, Paul's just simply saying this, I don't want women to overstep their boundaries and to go around the authority of a man. But I actually do, Kyle, think in, in the right circumstances, um, you know, as long as there's not like a, a power struggle or an arrogance that there's a place for women to teach in the right context, you know, but it's all about protecting God's design. Do you have any thoughts on this? This is the trickiest part. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I I just want to remind people that the men who are put into leadership positions in a church have to submit to God. Yeah, it's something we're doing. Right, that's what they should be doing. If they're not submitting to God, you've got a problem. So women who are submitting to that teaching are submitting to the teaching given by God. Because if the men are submitting to God, then everyone is in line to what God wants to be done and not what they want done, right? So there's this there's submission on all parties. <laughs> and so there isn't like a uh you know women are submitting to man and man is final authority. Right. Well man's not final authority. God is final authority. Right. And God is giving the authority to man, but man has to submit to God in order to get that, in order to be a part of that. So there's submission all around, and there's an order that's happening here. I do believe that men are those who lead their families and in the church and those things, but I do believe women can teach in the church under the this same authority, under this same submission. So if God is giving men something to teach, and men is giving a woman underneath that the woman something to teach that is the same in line with what God wants right. that woman can teach right. those things not over a man not over a man but, underneath but can teach the those leadership things to of. others yeah so it's it's you know there's a little it's it's flowing down everyone has their role we know there's roles in marriage that is very clear in the bible and there's roles in the church and though a lot of those uh mirror each other you know, as and we even talk about the relationship between Jesus and the church, the church being the bride. So there's a lot of marriage and family roles that take place that are clear in Scripture. This is following that same pattern of roles, the same line of roles, 
And so it is consistent. This isn't something that goes off track, that's different than the rest of the Bible. This is following in line with what God has set for the family and for the church. And so we're not doing anything by getting out of that. I mean, we see women teaching. We see some pretty strong Christian women teaching. Um, and, And so when you see those things, who are they teaching to? Who are they getting that authority that from? That's a part of those the are questions you have, would have to ask yourself, right? Uh, so that's that's always good to think. But I do think there are strong women teachers who are teaching women. Yep. Um, Our children. And as, as long as those women teaching are submitting to the, what this passage is saying, right. then there's nothing wrong with it. Let me ask you this question. Um, how can I best put this, Kyle? If an organization has no structure and has no leadership, what happens to the organization? Yeah, chaos. Chaos. It just it falls, falls apart. apart. Yeah. See, the problem with our culture today is that we despise authority. But that's a reflection of how we feel about God, because regardless of who you are on the face of the planet, God is the ultimate authority, right? So believer or non-believer, every, everybody is subject to God's authority, whether they're going to obey it or not. Think about this. In our society, citizens are subject to the government. Students are subject to their teachers or their principal. Children are subject to their parents. Employees are subjects, su- subject to their employers. Um, society should be subject to, the, to our police department. Uh, Christians su- should be subject to their church authority and to God. So if God designs it to where women should be subject to their husbands, here's what God is saying is I have so designed this with order as I do with everything else, that this is for your betterment and for your, your human flourishing. I would also say this from the book of Ephesians chapter five, the Bible already calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church who loved her and gave himself up for her. So listen, I learned a long time ago from a buddy of mine. He said, the one, who, the one who submits and the one who served the most should be the one who's honored the most. One of the reasons why God wants women to trust their husbands and, and to, to trust the natural order of male-female relationships is because women should be lifted up and honored more and men should be the one stepping down and taking the knee as a servant would. So this is not something to make women inferior. In fact, it's it's actually a recognition of when this plays out the right way, uh, women get honored respectfully in the right way. Yeah, and I do want to talk a little bit about how culture has shifted. I mean, over many, many years. We're talking back when Paul wrote this to today, right? Lots of years have gone by uh, when it comes to roles in the Bible and then roles um, in our society today in the United States in 2020. Uh, Not for over, long. right. Over decades, we've seen a continual push of the elimination of roles of men and women. Um, we are now at the point in our society that we're even eliminating gender. Yeah. And so, Ridiculous. yeah. So, you know, when you eliminate gender, there are no roles. And so it's almost getting to the point where this piece of the Bible is so key for Christians today to stand on yeah. the roles of men and women in the Bible, in the family, in the church are clearly stated 
and we need to continue to follow those. And it's going to get harder and harder to do that. This is not easy. What we're talking about right now is not the popular opinion of, of the United States or of the world. This is not going to be sit well with a lot of people. This is a part of Christianity that people want to not even talk about, get rid of. They think it's ridiculous that you know a woman would have to submit to anything, and on and on and on and on. But when you truly know the, how it's set up, when you truly are, dig into the scripture and learn more about who God is, it is so. It is. It is much more than these just mere words submission. A lot of people like to take this word submission as a negative, as a, you know, this is this is oppressing women, this is <laughs> oppressing people. Right. I don't see God doing that here. No. I don't see God oppressing men and women. Well, God saved right. men and women right. because we are sinful, right. because we distort things right. like what submission can look like to God right. and how God lifts us it. up in that submission. That's it. And we get to be in relationship with the God of the universe. So to think that this idea of roles is negative, you're missing it. You're totally missing it because to have a relationship with the Lord, there's nothing else like it. And I will gladly submit to what the Lord is saying because I know that what's coming in the future, what's promised by God is greater than anything. Right. I know the end of the story, right? If you've read it, you know what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return, establish his kingdom, and I can't wait to see it. I want to be under what the Bible says. I want to submit to what the Bible says and what God says, and I want women to submit to what the Bible says too. I don't want this to think this to come across as, well, I want women to submit to the Bible because I'm a man, which means they have to submit to me. Right. I don't think that'd that would be the wrong all. heart. That'd, that would be wrong. That'd be a sinful attitude. I want women to submit to God just as I submit to right. God as a man. And the the assumption is is that your heart is pure and following the Lord in it, and that you're you're leading your life, your wife, and your family well, and that there's you know no arrogance on your part. Like obviously the Bible, especially at this point in the New Testament, the the whole point is on living a godly life because Jesus saved you from sin. So, you know, the Bible would never be espousing for a position that would say, yeah, go ahead and just oppress women. No, it's it's actually saying, hey women, you should submit because your leadership is biblical and strong and it lifts you up and, and honors you. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, when I think about recent events in my life moving, you know, when I moved, I moved my family, which included my wife <laughs> in that move. Um, was that decision made with my wife? Did I just make that decision on my own and tell my wife, hey, we're moving to Kansas? No, that didn't happen that way. I don't, that's not honoring my wife. That's not loving her as Christ loves us, as, as a husband, as I'm commanded to love my wife that way, in a sacrificial way that Jesus loves me. That means I have to lay myself down for my wife. That also sounds a little bit like submission in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in another way. My wife is very, very important to me, what she thinks, how she feels, all of those things. Besides my relationship with Christ, that's the next thing. That's it. That's the most important thing. And so it, within the Christian culture, biblically, that's I feel like that's the heart that I should have at all times is 
caring for what my wife needs and what she wants and what our family is going to do and how is God leading our family and we do it all together. Um, now, is there a moment in that decision where, okay, God's leading me to move our family to Kansas where my wife had to say, I have to trust my husband right. that he has prayerfully considered this move all the options and that it's coming from the Lord and not from a selfish place. So my wife has to submit to that, that I did that, right? But I also have to submit to the Lord and saying, is this what you want me to do, Lord? And if it's a yes, then I go. If it's a no, then I stay. So that relationship there between what she had to do and what I had to do, we both had to do the same thing. We had to submit to what the Lord said. And I think that's, that's what this is all talking about. Here. And, and I think that's such a beautiful relationship. And it's not like my wife didn't pray as well and talk to the Lord. She didn't need to go through me to talk to the Lord. Right. She prayed herself right. and has a relationship with Jesus herself. Right. And But we followed what the Bible says, how we should interact, how we should make decisions, how we should be as a family. Not saying I'm perfect, but in that situation, I feel like I followed the Lord and my wife submitted to the fact that I was following the Lord. And that's what happened. And I, that's just an example right. of how this can, how this can take place. Um, that, uh, you know, a practical example of one that just happened that, that I think is a, a good example. Again, not saying I'm perfect. I'll probably mess up a bunch of times, but I strive to live according to God's will. And when that happens, my wife is able to submit because she knows that I'm following God. And, and at, yeah, at the end of the day, you're, you're not making these decisions for selfish reasons. Correct. You're making these decisions because even if it includes something that, that would be difficult, such as picking up and moving from everything you've ever known, in the process, you're saying, I really believe in the long run, there will be better things here than there will be if I stay. That's a discussion Shannon and I just had as we got home off the plane. You know, we were, we were driving home, um, from Wichita to our home here in Ottawa. And she said, you know, it's so good to be home here in Kansas. There, there was something about Arizona. This is just what my wife said to me. There's something about Arizona for us that seemed like we were hitting a dead end. And just to, to see the way the world is going right now, as it pertains to the long-term direction of our family, it was much more better, much more flourishing for us to say, we're going to move into this environment and minister here as opposed to remaining with everything that we had known. That's just our testimony. But here we go. Uh, let's start to close it out. Uh, 13 and 14. I'm going to read this. It says, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. He's he's making a point here. I'll get to that in a second. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. Uh, in verse 13, we have to remember that the first reason for male authority in the church is because of the order of creation. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, God gave the first ever command to the human race. And God said, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And check it out. David Guzik, in his commentary at blueletterbible.com, says this command was not given to uh, women at all. At the time the command was given, Eve was not even created yet from Adam. 
Um, so Adam was the only one who existed and had first authority over the earth. Adam received his command and his authority from God, and Eve received her command and authority from Adam. The idea was that Adam was to steward uh, the relationship with his wife well. Unfortunately, here's what happened in, in verse 14. Uh, again, the verse says, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. I'm just going to read this quote for us because I think it's helpful to summarize our time and and to continue to pass this along. But it says, the second reason is the difference in the sin of Adam and Eve as connected to their difference in authority. Both Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and Eve clearly sinned first. Check this out. Yet the Bible never blames Eve for the fall of the human race, but always blames Adam. Uh, Romans 5.12 says, through one man sin entered the world. See, Adam is responsible because uh, there was a difference in authority. Adam had an authority Eve did not have. Therefore, he also had a responsibility that Eve did not have. Adam failed in his responsibility in a far more significant way than Eve did. As well, Eve was deceived and Adam was not deceived. Eve was tricked, but Adam sin, uh, sinned and he knew exactly what he was doing when he rebelled. This means that though Adam's sin was worse, Eve's ability to be more readily deceived made her more dangerous in a place of authority. Eve's reasoning faculty was that once overcame or overcome by the allegation of jealousy felt by God, an allegation plausible to a nature swayed by emotion rather than reflection. Uh, in other words, I think what's happening here is that Paul is making the claim that men and women are different and men and women handle challenges and difficulties in a different way. Um, and that categorically speaking, Eve responded to the temptation of the serpent in a different way. This is the Bible's claim, so we go with it. Uh, it doesn't matter what culture says, right? But Eve was more susceptible, and Adam also, his sin was worse because he knew what he was doing. He, he willingly sinned. Whew. Uh, uh, Kyle, any thoughts here? <laughs> no, I think you nailed it. I think it's good to go back. And and I think this is what why Paul did it, but went back to the beginning and talked about the order of creation and where this comes from. And and I think it was just a great point that you pointed out that Eve doesn't get blamed. Yeah. Right? It's not just Eve's fault. It's not women's fault, their sin. Right. Right? It's it is both of theirs. And it was Adam's failure and it was Eve's failure. It was both. So I think it, it was, it's just good to remind ourselves how we were created, why we were created, why is there male, why is there female, and in the fall of man, it was both Adam and Eve that sinned in the Garden of Eden, and so it wasn't Eve blamed for all of the fall of man, but both of them who sinned. So I think that was, a, it was just a good thing that Paul did here to kind of go back and do a little bit of context of how God created us as humans and how it all went about. So, I, yeah. And I do think categorically speaking, uh, notice that it says in verse 14, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but then he says, but the woman. He doesn't necessarily mention Eve by name in, in verse 14 here as he did in verse 13. But the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. I think Paul is making this appeal to the fact that at a categorical level, 
women most likely are more prone to making decisions emotionally, not to say that you have to make an emotional decision. But the Bible did just make the claim that God has created men and women differently. And categorically speaking, uh, men and women process conflict different ways. Um, so one, this is God's created order for humanity that men would step up and lead. And that's not a bad thing at all. And by the way, it's not a bad thing that a woman would be created and called to serve in her capacity as a woman towards her family and towards her children and towards society. These are things that we need to celebrate, but these are things that our culture tears down. God is reminding us through the scriptures here of what it, what a holy order in society looks like. And he's appealing to that. We get to verse 15 to close it out for the, for the night. And it says, but women will be preserved through childbirth. Another word for preserved. Maybe your translation says, but women will be saved through childbirth if they continue in faith, love, and sanctity with moderation. Um, another translation may say faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Kyle, do you think verse 15 just said that women will be saved? They'll be given salvation if they have a lot of babies? No, <laughs> not at all. I think, honestly, this verse is one of the most difficult verses, uh, I feel. You know, because it's it's clearly not saying I don't I don't think that that's what's saying. You're not going to be saved. You're only saved through Jesus Christ, not if you have a bunch of babies. Yeah, right. That's never that been would, the Bible's claim, so we know. Yeah, we that would be throw it out as against Jesus. all doctrine in the Bible, right? That one would stand. So we got to throw that one out uh, for sure. That they will be saved in uh, in childbearing. There's there's the other uh, I think thought that comes to mind right away, which is saved in childbearing, where um, you know, if you have enough faith that you'll be saved in the sense of physically saved, that you won't die when bearing a child. Yeah. Which I don't think that's true either. Yeah. No, I don't right? think it's going there. Yeah. We're, we're not, it's not what's talking about. If you have enough faith, this will happen. Cause I think then you're getting into muddy waters. Right. Still. Right. Uh, so we have a lot of, I think, misconceived things going on here that makes this verse specifically really, really hard to to translate and to understand uh, because it's a tricky one, the way it's worded. It's very, very tricky. But I think practically, here's what Paul is saying in context. But women will be saved through childbirth. Now, if that did talk of salvation, then what about all of the females on this planet who trust in Jesus by faith alone, but who don't have children? Like, what if my daughter comes to faith in Christ when she's I don't know, let's just say she's 10 years old, 12 years old. Well, does that mean that she can't be saved yet because she doesn't have any children yet? No, that would just be absolutely illogical and ridiculous from what the New Testament is trying to say. The fact is, is we bring a lot of baggage to the text. Like I said earlier in the podcast, the word saved does not always refer to salvation. It can mean preserved. It can mean delivered. It can mean sanctified. Here's what I believe in context, verse 15 is saying, but women will be sanctified. They will spiritually grow. In other words, there's a maturity that comes about through having children. And then it goes on to say with another condition, if they continue in faith, love, uh, and and sanctity with moderation or with self-control. Kyle, let me just ask you this question. 
just to kind of put you on the spot as a father and as a husband, as you observe your wife, do you, do you see Kelsey, Kelsey as a woman who has grown uh, and matured uh, after having had Conrad? Yeah, certainly. I'd agree with that in, 100%. In what capacities, in what ways? Um, I think in the way that she views herself as a mother, um, and that all comes through the context of the Bible. Uh, I think she has continued to grow in her walk with the Lord um, and strengthen that even more through having a child, uh, understand the responsibility of a Christian and of a parent to raise that child uh, in the way of the Lord, and so there's maturity that has come through that process. Um, I think there there was a there's a big jump there. There's a, a almost not a I think there is a shift in priority when you have a child because you have a baby to take care of and and that's a that's a big deal. But some people don't take that responsibility and, and they go in the opposite direction. But you know, digging into who God is, finding strength in the Lord. And, and growing in your relationship with the Lord through having a child, I think that is what my wife has done uh, and continued to stay on that path. Uh, again, not perfection. She wouldn't claim that. Uh, but are we staying in relationship with God uh, through these things? And is she growing? I would say yes, that she is. Yeah. And, and Paul put these two phrases together, but women will be matured let's just go with that because that's what the context is meaning by saved or delivered preserved but women will be matured through childbirth if they continue in faith love holiness and self-control these are all things that women have to practice before their children they have to display faith they have to display love they have to display holiness they have to display self-control i don't know about you all but i watch my wife and we're we have three out of the womb and one in the womb. And oh my goodness, there are some days where it's like she just needs to have an hour by herself. But you know what? To be at home all the time with our kids and to be training them up in the faith. Mothers, I want to say this to you. You have such an incredible job. Like of all the ministry efforts in the world, think about how radical of a statement I'm about to make. The most radical ministry that you could ever have is that you as a mother would invest into your children all throughout the day, hoping that all of your investment in them would mean complete life change for them in the future. And then they themselves would grow to be grown adults who love the Lord. And then they would have children who love the Lord. Mothers can literally change the, the destiny of entire generations. And I don't want to take responsibility away from the fathers because a father's job is to absolutely lead the home. But I'm talking about the com component of things when the father is at work and the children are really little. They're so little to where daddy can't even bring them to work with him. Uh, this matures a woman. It draws her closer to the Lord. It, it grows patience in her, love, faith, holiness, all these things. So when we look at this passage in context, it's like the Lord is telling us and he's giving instruction for women and just saying, you know, this comes down to drawing closer to me and trusting me with, with what I have declared is good, with what I have declared is right. And just like before sin entered into the world, all Adam and Eve had to do was just trust that God already declared the definition of right and wrong. And when they decided to test that theory out for themselves, 
what they essentially said was, God, we want to determine right and wrong. Obeying these scriptures is a way of saying, God, we go back to the garden before sin entered into the world, and we're going to trust you that you have the right definitions of what's ethically good and what's ethically wrong. Yeah. Just to point out something cool that I think happens here when it comes to women and childbirth and Eve being the one deceived here and falling into that sin. We also see a woman bring the Messiah into the world. Yeah. Amen, brother. And so um, I think that is a pretty awesome thing to point out for women is that um, God left men out of that one. Yeah. (laughs) When it came to bringing the Messiah to save men and women, uh, he had the plan from the beginning was to use Mary um, and to have a virgin birth uh, and to bring the Messiah into the world to save all people, including women. And that role, I think, is extremely important uh, to, to point out there on how, how God did this. Again, we think it's cool. Like, it's not, this isn't like a coincidence, right? God planned this. This was on purpose. And so I just think it should give uh, women, a, you know, I don't know, a sense of, that they are important and they're no less important than men. Right. They're equally as important. We are all saved through the same Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And we all need Jesus. Uh, yes, we have roles. It's clear that God gave us roles here, but women have an extremely important role in which God gave them just as important as men. At the end of this verse, it talks about some of these characteristics of, I think, that are evident in women, which is faith, love, and holiness with self-control. The self-control part sticks out to me the most because I think of being, as being a man, sometimes I can be a little impulsive when it comes to my emotions and I have a hard time controlling them right away, especially with like anger or frustration. I just want to like lash out and be a jerk sometimes. Um, And I don't always have that self-control. Maybe I'm not doing that towards somebody, but in my thoughts or even in my conversation with my wife. And she's like, hey, maybe you should think of this and that. And she helps me with the self-control part. I think I find that I find that in my wife where she's able to help me think through things and have that self-control and help me in my self-control. And so these are these are qualities that God gave women. And, uh, and I think it's, it's amazing. And I think the relationship between men and women should be, to me, should be a, an equal partnership in the marriage, but roles have been given by God. They're clear in the Bible. And, and if we do them correctly, I don't think we see this worldly example of submission. I think we see a godly example of submission. Yeah. And I think God <clears throat> through the scriptures is arguing for the dignity of a, a woman. Um, and at the end of the day, we all submit to an authority. Well, hey, this is our episode. I guess we'll see, you know, if we get any feedback from it. But uh, it's, this is the word of God and we are sticking to it. So uh, let's close it out with prayer, Kyle. Why don't you close all right. all right. Dear Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Just as we continue to read through your word. And we know that sometimes reading through the Bible is not easy. We get challenged on our thoughts. We get challenged on the things that you say, Lord, um, because we live in a uh, sinful world. 
that really distorts our minds into thinking something is good when it's not and something is bad when it's not and we get really confused at times but the bible should be the source in which we go back to for truth because it is truth it is your word and we should always go to it for understanding uh, and the knowledge that we need to live this life um, and to gain wisdom from you lord so uh, i thank you for this passage even though a struggle even though hard to talk about even though a hot topic that um, may result in people being upset. Uh, but we want to teach your word as it is in context and what you are, or want us to know, Lord, and how we should be in relationship with one another, men and women. So just, I pray for our listeners and their hearts as they uh, maybe wrestle with some of the things that we talked about, uh, but that you give them peace and understanding, and then they seek you for this knowledge, not others, not the world, but they seek true biblical knowledge, the truth that you have given them, uh, that they study, uh, that they dive in, that they prayerfully consider these things, uh, and that they ultimately follow what you have given us, Lord, through your word. So uh, thank you again for this platform, Lord, to have a podcast, to speak your word. Um, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.